For 34 days, the United States federal government has been in a partial shutdown. Pretty much since the beginning, the natural environment has been feeling the effects. Big cities and small towns from coast to coast that serve as gateway communities near our national parks are on the front lines of a political conflict that have put at risk the conscientious management of our public land. About 800,000 federal employees have been furloughed from their jobs or are now required to work without pay. Among them are more than 27,000 National Park Service professionals. Interpretive rangers, law enforcement officers, and maintenance personnel have a long tradition of working in partnership with local environmental advocates in the communities they serve. Now, with a dramatically reduced federal workforce, private businesses, nonprofit organizations, and chambers of commerce across the country are struggling to protect the natural resources that are so vital to their economic stability and way of life. In the hopes of better understanding exactly how the shutdown has impacted these gateway communities, I made a few phone calls. I wanted to talk to people on the ground who could speak directly to their personal experiences of managing our national parks with little to no government assistance. Hi, this is John. Hey, John. James Mills calling you back. Hey, great. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Good. John Lorteg is one of six board members of Friends of Joshua Tree a nonprofit organization that serves the interests of Joshua Tree National Park. I'm kind of the, the, the hands-on director of some of the uh, programs we support here in Joshua Tree, in the National Park. Uh, Climber Coffee, Climber Stewards, the HARP program, which is the Hardware Anchor Replacement Program. And uh, most importantly, um, I am a member of the JOSAR Volunteer Search and Rescue team that uh, Friends of Joshua Tree supports, and we augment the, the uh, Park Service Search and Rescue Team. As someone with hands-on experience with the day-to-day -day operations at Joshua Tree, Loratag is a good person to ask about how the shutdown is affecting the park. Because of the shutdown, we are no longer allowed to do any JOSAR training. So we haven't done any team training either with ourselves or with the park staff. So all of that has stopped. Uh, Climber Coffee has stopped because uh, it was hosted by a park ranger. And the Climber Stewards, when the campground was open, were allowed to stay in the campground. But they weren't allowed to work. They weren't allowed to do their volunteer jobs. And then when the shutdown happened, one of the local uh, climbing guides called and said, you know, if the maintenance isn't done on this park, we're going to need to clean bathrooms and take out trash like right away because you know this was during the holidays and it was peak visitation we were going to have you know 200,000 visitors come through the park in the next 10 to 12 days and um, we knew right away that uh, we had to get in front of the power curve on this. Unmanned visitor centers, garbage cans overflowing, filthy restrooms. And that was a month ago. Under the government shutdown, local gateway communities are picking up the slack at our national parks. While the president and members of Congress argue over the cost of a wall on the U.S. southern border, 
ordinary citizens across America are paying a very high price. I'm James Edward Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. We'll get back to Joshua Tree in a moment. In the meantime, I spoke to environmental advocates and outdoor retailers from across the country. My name is Jan Wojtasinski. Nuttahalla Outdoor Center is a retail dining and lodging establishment with two locations near Great Smoky Mountain National Park in Gatlinburg and Bryson City, Tennessee. Jan Wojtasinski is the Vice President of Marketing. Since the shutdown began just a few days before the Christmas holiday in 2018, reports of limited access to ranger stations, unplowed roads, closed information kiosks, and untidy restrooms have deterred some visitors from venturing into the park. Anytime something like this hits the news, whether it's the news of a shutdown, the news of forest fires, the news of flooding, there's always a more residual impact that's a little harder to measure, right? People hear about these events that could potentially um, adversely affect either their vacation plans or maybe um, just their plans to take a day off and get out into the outdoors. And it definitely impacts people's ability to, to rely on, on those plans and to think about using that time in that way. With two locations very near the boundaries of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, Wodosinski said that during the shutdown, his stores helped to fulfill a few of the tasks typically performed by Park Service personnel. Several members of our staff, especially in the Gatlinburg market, have been certainly involved with volunteer efforts around the parkway there to, to keep areas either clean via trash pickups or to help educate passerby as they come through to some of the things that are open or closed. I will say because of, of our location in Gatlinburg, we are at one of the main prominent entrances to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, our map and kind of planning center where we provide information on local hikes, local things to do, has been a resource to travelers in terms of what's opened and what's closed. So we're better, better able to educate the general public who stops by as to where they can still enjoy the park amenities and what they can do to help out uh, to, to make sure that the park stays clean. Some might suggest that our national parks can use a break from the steady stream of visitors, but local economies of gateway communities depend upon a very careful balance between environmental protection and the business of outdoor recreation. As the parks remain open during the shutdown, this equilibrium is a bit out of whack while outdoor professionals and common citizens try to navigate the landscape without government assistance. Several local businesses are feeling the pinch of fewer customers during the shutdown. Well, we're down 30%, <laughs> so there you go. Vesna Placanis is co-owner of A Walk in the Woods, a Gatlinburg guide service. Our Christmas was terrible. You know, I mean, December's always going to be a little slow because, you know, it's a shoulder season. But then, you know, the holidays from Christmas to New Year's, we are, you know, we're completely booked up. And this year we were having a lot of, you know, 
cancellations and then we were having people confused about whether or not the park was open or not open. And because the park is only partially open, basically all the services are not available. You know, bathrooms are closed. If roads close, it takes them a lot longer to open them back up because obviously the maintenance crews are, you know, being furloughed and and they're only dealing with emergencies and main roads and then kind of getting to the other roads, you know, not quite as quickly. Gateway communities like Gatlinburg rely heavily upon tourism. Even though Great Smoky Mountain and most national parks remain open, without the presence of National Park Service personnel to provide visitors with information, as well as to perform general maintenance duties, local businesses will continue to suffer. You know, I have 20 people on my staff. I have people who have families, they own homes, they, you know, are paying mortgages, they have children. You know, they have bills. I just hired seven new people who are moving here specifically to work here. You know, it's terrifying. So I've got all these people who are coming from uh, all over the place, you know, starting a new life. You know, I mean, it's just, it's impacting everybody. You know, this is it. We're a tourism-based business. We have no other economy. You know, we have 4,000 people who live in the, you know, town of Gatlinburg. And, I mean, it's a ghost town. Well, you know, the good news is it's winter time, and that's not our busiest season. But we do certainly rely on, you know, Martin Luther King holiday, you know, President's Day is coming up, Valentine's Day is coming up, you know, so we rely on these these weekends to sort of help get us through until we, you know, our, our full-on season starts. You know, we can weather the storm if it's in the winter months because most of us, you know, realize you know, in this, you know, community that, A, it's a shoulder month, we're not going to do as well. But if it keeps going on until, the, you know, when the season starts, uh, you know, we're screwed. I mean, this entire community is just, you know, I mean, it was, it took us years to recover from the last shutdown. And that wasn't as long. Environmental advocacy groups like the Great Smoky Mountains Association, or GSMA, has dealt with circumstances just like this in the past. CEO Laurel Remator said her organization had a plan. Because of the experiences that it has had with other government shutdowns and other interruptions with our ability to generate income, we have had to set aside emergency reserves to protect ourselves in just such a situation like this. GSMA was committed to provide essential services to keep the park open. For the first 11 days of the government shutdown, my organization donated a total of $51,000 to Great Smoky Mountains National Park so that the park could provide uniformed park rangers to provide information assistance in the park's three major visitor centers and also to operate the restrooms. Uh, at the three major visitor centers in the park. But local volunteers were still called upon to collect and dispose of trash around the park. And now that the initial outlay of cash has been exhausted, the visitor centers where the group generates revenue through the sale of books, periodicals, and other park-related items are now closed. Remitor said the GSMA will guarantee the salaries of its employees through January 31st. But after that, the organization will just have to manage as best they can. We're in new territory here. No shutdown has ever lasted this long. So I think what we're going to be doing is 
taking it a few weeks at a time and trying to figure out what it is it that we can do. And, you know, and I'm just communicating with our staff as much as I can to say, you know, we're going to do what we can. But I'm not sure how much longer we can do this. It will become a problem again in March when the visitors start coming back in force. And the more visitors who are here, you know, they're going to be doing things like littering in the park, and we may not be able to keep up with it with all the Good Samaritans who are picking up the litter, and the 20 law enforcement rangers may be utterly exhausted. I don't know. The GSMA is trying to make the best of a bad situation that's just getting worse. The financial strain of the shutdown is getting in the way of the group's primary mission. My organization makes a commitment to donate $1.3 million in cash to the National Park every year in support of education and interpretive research and preservation projects in the park. And so $51,000 could have funded, oh, dozens of summer interns in the resource education or the resource management division here in the park. It could have funded school outreach programs. And as a nonprofit, we are responsible for generating all of our own operating money to cover all of our own operating expenses. So as an educational nonprofit, the way that we fulfill our mission is also our business model. Our purpose is to run the educational bookstores and in the park, and we are fortunate that we do it in such a way that it generates the money that we need to fund all of our operations. And we also publish books and other periodicals about the park, and we also have a membership program. And so that $51,000, you know, I, that could have been put to work in so many different ways, even compensating the employees who are now displaced, the GSMA employees who are now displaced because of the shutdown. We're trying to make them whole. The federal employees who are furloughed now are, I believe that legislation has been passed to make them whole after the shutdown ends. Of course, nobody knows when it's going to end. But nobody can come to GSMA's rescue. We're just out that money. Circumstances like these are playing out in other gateway communities across the country. As Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado endures heavy snowfall through the month of January, unplowed roads remain impassable. But Essie Rivera Murdoch, executive director of the Rocky Mountain Conservancy, said that's not going to keep visitors away. People tend to think of, like, winter is a very dead time for Rocky Mountain National Park. January is, yes, but when you look at it through the lens that we're the fourth most visited park in the country, an average January still has well over 100,000 visitors on average. So it's not, it may be small relative to what Rocky looks like in July, but it's still massive visitation. In order to keep up with the demands of seasonal maintenance like snow removal, many national parks are tapping into money set aside by a piece of legislation called the Federal Lands Recreation Enhancement Act, commonly known as FLORIA. But these FLORIA funds raised primarily from park entrance fees were meant to be used to, quote, improve the quality of visitor experiences, unquote. Though most disagree, under the shutdown, the Department of the Interior seems to think that that includes plowing roads and cleaning restrooms. Usually the park, in Rockies, no exception, the park has a five-year plan for how they plan to use the FLORIA funds. 
so here at Rocky, there's some visitor center exhibit upgrades that fee money might have been used to support additional staff and educational programs. So it's not as if, you know, the park is winging it and deciding what they're going to do. There's a very strategic five-year plan. So one of the concerns is, one, that the park hasn't, you know, collected fees now for 25 days, including over the holiday season, which is quite busy. And now that these these plans that a lot of time and thought has gone into are sort of being thrown back to the drawing board for these other purposes that appropriations would typically cover. Floria funds that might otherwise go to much-needed repairs and structural improvement to park facilities are being diverted to cover the most basic needs. And even though the Rocky Mountain Conservancy might desperately want to help soften the impact of the shutdown, Murdoch said in some ways the rules of engagement with the Park Service prohibits the group's ability to provide assistance. We had this huge interest in people wanting to volunteer for the park. Lots of organizations like ours, we operate our volunteer program sort of under the umbrella of the National Park Service's volunteer program. So when the government shut down, we couldn't do volunteer activities because we have no liability coverage or volunteers, things that usually happen, again, under the umbrella of the Park Service's volunteer program. Same thing in terms of lots of people are interested in rallying to try to, you know, help government employees who aren't being paid for now close to a month. Uh, And it's the same thing. We can't, you know, seek out support for park employees because we're technically a prohibited source because of our agreements with the Park Service. So in some ways, we might be the most logical group, you know, to step in and say, how can we help our park rangers? But at the same time, our hands are tied. And then the more intangible thing is, I mean, everybody who's not park staff, we've got some contractors, we have a youth corps that can't work during the shutdown because they don't have any supervisors. So they're just not getting their pay. We as the Conservancy have been paying their food stipends, but, you know, if you sign up for a job, you're expecting a little more than a food stipend. Um, So, I mean, that's... (laughs) exemplary of federal contractors across the country. Um, And then we also have a lot of interns who we typically pay their stipend, various education interns, but they report directly to the Park Service. So they are here. Now we have three who have arrived for their season and obviously have no one to supervise them. Without a doubt, the government shutdown is having a tremendous effect on our national parks. Back in California, Joshua Tree National Park has especially been affected by an influx of people coming to enjoy the warm desert weather through the winter months. The shutdown beginning on December 22nd, the timing really could not have been worse. The the two weeks of, of Christmas through New Year's and after are probably the busiest two weeks of the entire year here. Uh, we had 10 to 20,000 people per day coming into the park. We had thousands of people camping in the park. So to completely abdicate any kind of oversight and responsibility and ranger presence other than just, you know, an extremely bare bones law enforcement staff 
that was just nuts. Sabra Purdy is the co-owner of Cliffhanger Guides, a rock climbing guide service near Joshua Tree National Park. I mean, one of the, the craziest things about this is that, you know, when our superintendent said last week that he wanted to close the park down due to resource damage, you know, that, that order was superseded almost immediately by the Interior Department, who wants to keep this park open. And he said that he wouldn't do it without, you know, without adequate staff to, to do the basic, you know, need, cover the basic needs of the park. And so they dipped into the recreation fees. Remember, these are the fees generated under the Federal Land Recreation Enhancement Act, the FLORIA funds. And, and they were ordered to use the recreation fees to pay the staff to come on. And interestingly enough, that doesn't include law enforcement rangers because those guys were still considered essential personnel. So, you know, that money has never been allowed to be accessed for operations before. It's always been earmarked very specifically for visitor experiences. So for Joshua Tree, our funds were supposed to be for building a new visitor center at Cottonwood. So, you know, combine that with, you know, we're, we're basically robbing our own savings bank for, for things that the park gets to do with that. You know, we get to keep 80% of those recreation fees that are collected at the, at the kiosk and at the campgrounds. That, those are the funds that are happening. We haven't collected any fees since the 21st of December. You know, 300,000 people almost came through here. And we didn't collect any fees during that time, you know. And now we're using that same pot of money, those fees, to pay the staff to do just the basic essential work of keeping the park going. Purdy says using this money as a stopgap against short-term expenses isn't just fiscally irresponsible. It might also be unlawful. So I think it's a terrible decision to make, and I think that you know, there's a lot of indications that that's not legal. I mean, every park superintendent in history has always wanted to get a hold of those fees for operations and for maintenance and for things like that. And it's always been, they've always been told by the general office that that's not legal use of those fees, that that, that runs counter to the appropriations laws that, um, that created those fees. So, um, you know, it's just so ironic. Like right now we're using those fees to put staff in the kiosks um, at the entrance station, but those people cannot accept any money for people coming into the park. <laughs> it's just nuts. Sadly, with minimal staffing and so many visitors coming into the park all at once, Joshua Tree is experiencing a lot of physical damage. In addition to overwhelming restroom facilities and occupying illegal campsites, some visitors actually cut down iconic trees while others drove vehicles off-road over previously unpacked desert sand, leaving permanent scars. I've seen graffiti on rocks um, that weren't there. I've seen, you know, personally I've seen damage enough to, I chose to turn down all work during the government shutdown as a guide because I didn't want to be part of it. I was willing to clean and be in there as a steward myself and educate people, but I turned down all financial benefits of the close down. Joe DeLuca is a Joshua Tree climbing guide and an employee at Nomad Adventures, the local gear shop. He said keeping the park open just isn't worth it if people are going to trash it. With the visitor centers closed during the shutdown, DeLuca does what he can to help educate people who come into the store looking for advice on where to climb and where to camp.
So I asked him, what's the one thing you think everyone should know? Yeah, the one thing that I would tell people, know the rules of the national park before you come into the national park. Like, read up on the rules, and the rules are there to protect our environment. They're not there to restrict us or to hold us back from having fun or enjoying our visit. The rules are there to protect the land and the animals. And Joshua Tree National Park doesn't belong to any business or any person. Joshua Tree National Park belongs to the animals and the plants. They were there first, and they don't have a choice to leave. Where humans, we have a choice. If it gets too bad, we can get up and go, get out of there, move somewhere else. So just remember that rules are there for animals and the plants for protection of them, and these sites are de designed to be there for not our generation, but generation after us. And that's what I would like to remind people. As of this taping, the government shutdown has been going on for 34 days, the longest government shutdown in U.S. history. On Friday of this week, federal employees will miss their second paycheck. In addition to the impact on hundreds of thousands of hardworking government professionals and their families, this shutdown is being felt across every sector of our economy and the lives of millions of people. Even the landscape of the natural environment is being affected. Our national parks are already facing a backlog of deferred maintenance totaling almost $12 billion. As Floria funds are being diverted to cover the cost of daily operations, the long-term preservation of our public lands and national monuments is more at risk than ever before. If we can't come to an understanding to end this ridiculous partisan bickering, some of the damage that is being done at this very moment, right now, may very well be permanent. For the Joy Chip Project, this is James Edward Mills. This edition of the podcast is based on an article published in Snooze, the outdoor industry online trade magazine, entitled The Trickle-Down Effects of the Government Shutdown. You can read it online at snoozenet.com. Our theme music is provided by Jake Shimobukuro. Additional melodies in this production were provided by Artlist. Special thanks to representatives of the Great Smoky Mountain Association, the Rocky Mountain Conservancy, and Friends of Joshua Tree for sharing their thoughts and insights. You can learn more about their work in national park advocacy at the Joy Chip Project website. The Joy Chip Project is made possible thanks to the support of the Next 100 Coalition, 
a diverse group of environmental activists working towards equity and inclusion in the management of public land through the next century and beyond. Learn more about their members and current initiatives at next100coalition.org. Thanks for listening. But as always, I want to hear from you. So please, drop me a note with your questions, comments, and criticisms to info at joytreproject.com. Or better yet, subscribe to the feed on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever most fine podcast platforms can be found. There you can leave a message or write a review. But most of all, don't forget to tell your friends. Now, go be joyful. And until next time, take care.